Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He, he scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied! Here's Durant moving on Tucker. He turns, he shoots. Yes! Talking Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association, this is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to another edition of Pick and Pod, WFUV's basketball podcast, not just the NBA. We're going to hit the WNBA as well. And who better to, to help me out throughout this process, break down both sides of the sport than Gigi Spear and Kelly Bright, probably my two favorite people to do this podcast with. And first, how are you guys doing? How's the season going? I know you guys are representing Fordham softball. Kelly's wearing the the sweater. Um, you know, tell me how that's going. Oh, we're going to. Well, first of all, Jack, thank you. It it definitely makes my day hearing that Gigi and I are two of your favorite co-hosts. But well, uh, it actually doesn't make my day because the first time you said it, you said you said it. But the second time you said probably. So how about this? I, I'd like to go on the record saying definitely. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, now now we can move on. No, but softball's going well. Uh, we actually play at Hofstra later tonight. So really, uh, doing the whole student athlete athlete thing today. Podcast in the morning, game at night. Um, but excited to do the show with you, and super excited to be able to talk WNBA, especially because Gigi just got to be at the draft in person yeah that was awesome I'm so lucky I'm so happy that WFUV sent me there it was amazing it happened two nights ago and there's so much to talk about and it was just a great experience and I really hope I could go again in the future Gigi you hit the WNBA draft but another event you got to cover was the Nets Cavs play-in game which was (sighs) exciting you know we, we saw crazy performances from Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. I mean, this Nets team really looked like a threat. And after that game, we see that they will keep on going in this run. What did you see from last night's game? Oh, my gosh. That was another great event to be at. It was so amazing, first of all. Just to address it, there was a moment of silence for everyone who was involved in uh, shooting on a subway that happened earlier yesterday morning around 8 a.m. up right by the Nets practice facility, actually. So a lot of players commented on it and um, just said that they're sending their best wishes. And the Nets and the New York Liberty are both um, combining to send $50,000 to those victims from the shooting. So it was definitely a crazy day. And I think that that's what besides it being a playing game and being a must win, as Kyrie Irving and multiple players said, it was just a great thing to be at to try and find something positive out of this life. But yeah, the Nets took it 115-108 from the Cavs. It was so exciting. And you could tell that the Nets just came out, like I said, with just such veracity. And they just wanted to get the job done. And they didn't let up. There were zero lead changes throughout the game. The Nets held the lead the entire game once they scored first. And yeah, it was just awesome. It felt like a play a playoff game. Well, first of all, I want to address the whole thing that happened on the subway because my thoughts, um, WFUV's thoughts and prayers go out to everyone involved. But I think a game like this, like Gigi said, it kind of reminds you how sports are so much bigger 
than just the games themselves. To me, Brooklyn going out and winning this game kind of symbol it gives New York something to be happy about, something to be hopeful about. Like I think about you go back to nine eleven, obviously not the same situation at all, and you have the Yankees win that game after that. I I think just moments like that in sports are so special. So I'm actually I'm not a Nets fan. I'm not a Brooklyn fan, but I am glad that they won this game for the state of New York and everyone that was involved in that tragedy. Now, back to the actual basketball, the actual, uh, the sport itself. Um, To me, I look at this game, and you're right, the Nets led the whole time, but what stands out to me, and maybe this is because I'm a Celtics fan and I'm looking at this as, let me find everything I can nitpick about this Brooklyn team, they gave up 65 points in the second half. 65 points to a Cavalier team that doesn't have Jared Allen in the second half. And to me, that shows that they have holes in... I mean, we've we've known that defensively they're susceptible to weaknesses, but to me, that's a red flag. And maybe again, maybe that's just me as a Celtics fan, but giving up 65 points in the second half, especially knowing that they did come out scoring. I mean, they were up 40-20 to 20 after the first quarter. Kyrie Irving didn't miss a shot till the fourth quarter. And... Still, defensively, they gave up a lot of points on a night when a lot of the Cavs players were off, especially Karis LeVert. But someone that was on was Darius Garland. I mean, he was... Yeah. So on. He, what, he finishes 34 points, 5 assists on 13 of 24 shooting. I'm really excited for the game where the Cavs end up matching against the winner of the Hornets and the Hawks because whoever you know plays in that game, there's just going to be great guard versus guard matchups. I mean, we're seeing it with Trey Young and <laughs> LaMelo Ball. We're going to see it again with Darius Garland. He really put the team on his back, but ultimately Kyrie was a little bit too much. I know that he does give up those points on defense, and I think that's maybe what cost them in the second half. But, Gigi, you said that we had some audio of Kyrie talking about the team's defense. Is that? Oh, yes. So this audio is going to be Kyrie talking about how the Nets have figured out their defense right when it matters, too. He calls it a game that was must-win, and it was just a certain kind of basketball that had to be played. Let's hear it. We just got to be in a defensive stance and ready to be in our shell and uh, stay consistent on that end because we're going to need it against them. So you heard it, Kelly. I know that the Cavs score 65 points in the second half, but a Nets team that has such a lethal offense and starting to figure it out on defense, that's that's a tough matchup. You guys are making me out to be the bad guy here, but listen. listen <laughs> I think you made yourself out to maybe, be the bad guy. Maybe, but listen, to me, I look at a game like this, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, great players. If you have them on your team, you have a chance of winning every single game. But... In a seven-game series, you need Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant to play their best basketball for over like 42 to 48 minutes for them to win a game. Because I look at some of their other players, 
Seth Curry 0 for 4. Drogic 1 for 3. Patty Mills 2 of 5, but really no impact on this game. You need those two guys to play and have games like Kyrie. What are the odds Kyrie Irving goes perfect for three quarters in a seven-game series? You're right. What are the odds that Kevin Durant doesn't get tired, doesn't get hurt in a seven-game series where he has to be the guy? When he leaves the game, the other teams make their moves. And this was against the Cavs. The Celtics are much better offensively. That is a huge claim. And something I want to say to your point about how the Nets might be outmatched offensively is look at how KD shaved his game yesterday. He was getting double teamed a lot throughout the game and he would come back into the huddle and just be like, okay, I'm getting double teamed. I'm going to pass it to you. Be ready. And he finishes the night with 11 assists. And when I saw, I'm looking at the stat and I'm like, okay, 11 rebounds. No, no, no. 11 assists from KD. And I think that just shows that he is unselfish in the way he's playing. He's still finishing with 25 points. But what the Nets have that I would say the Celtics don't have is the experience to win a seven-game series. And I think also the improvement of young talent. There's still a lot of players that haven't really got to mesh together with the starters in KD and Kyrie. And even someone like Andre Drummond just being miscued throughout the game. He had some big dunks and he finishes the night with 16 points and eight rebounds. But I think that this Nets team hasn't really gotten into a flow yet, but this game last night is their fifth straight win. And that's what I'm saying. I think this is the peaking now. And then with KD and Kyrie's experience, they'll be able to move on. And Seth Curry picked it up on the defensive end. So I think he contributed. And then the other thing, Patty Mills, two for five, but he is shooting these threes that is reliable and he's a streaky player. Gigi, I think that you make a lot of really good points and specifically with Kevin Durant's playmaking. I mean, recently he's been through the roof. I was at the Pacers-Nets game at the end of the year, last game, and he finished with a career-high 16 assists. And, you know, post-game he talked about how, you know, he's not getting better. It's just that they're double teaming him and he's finding open people. He said that he's always prided himself on being this, you know, facilitator. Kyrie called him the the PG from PG County in, in DC. Um but I want to push back on one thing you mentioned, and that's the Cel- Celtics inexperience. Because Jason Tatum was one of the guys on a 2017-18 team that went into seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals. They were one game away from being a championship team, and Jalen Brown was on that team. Jason Tatum was on that team, and Al Horford was on that team who has playoff experience with the Hawks. So maybe you don't have those guys that that have the the shiny gear, like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Mm -hmm. Irving. They've got Mm -hmm. their rings. But, you know, Tatum's played in 50 career playoff games. You know, like, are you not willing to call him experienced in the playoffs yet? I think that is the thing that gets me is not actually making it to the final. That is what I think really sets players apart. Like he's going to be up in the conversation with grades for sure. And everyone's nervous about Jason Tatum. But I just think to me with this Nets team and how much they've improved so many highs and lows throughout this season and then coming together and actually meshing well together as two superstars leading this team. I think that is the experience I value. I do love Al Horford. I love Jason Tatum. And I 
am not knocking them as players, but I just think that it takes a little something extra to win. And I know that doesn't sound that right coming from a LeBron fan, but I just have to say it. <laughs> well, I would say also, though, though, if you take away Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, there's not many guys in the Nets with experience either in that situation. Wait, and wait, just can I, can I correct that? There's not many guys on the Nets. Period. That's exactly, and that's exactly <laughs> where I'm going with this. And I look at a game like this where I just mentioned their role players had an off night, except for Nick Claxton, who strangely went off in this game, which no way that's going to be sustainable. I mean, he had five blocks. I, I don't know where that came from, but that's not sustainable for him. That's that's him playing above his regular tier. Even Andre Drummond played, I think, above his caliber. So I don't see that being something that we're going to see throughout the playoffs on a consistent game over game basis. Um, and I look at the Celtics team, and again, I, I feel bad because I'm a, I know that I'm biased when I'm saying all this, but you're right. They these these guys haven't most of the guys in this team haven't won a ring, and that's fair. But I just think there's a like like uh, Jack mentioned, they have Al Horford, they have some older guys who can help lead this team. And you, I also want to go back to a point you made because I think this Nets and Celtics matchup is very interesting for a reason that you pointed out, and that's that both teams are quote unquote peaking right now at the best time going into the playoffs. Like you mentioned, the Nets are finding the rhythm. They have Kyrie Irving now for all games, not just uh, away games. The Celtics are the epitome of turning your season around. I mean, they went from being one of the worst teams in the league in the first half of the season to being the number one defense, the number one passing offense in the league, completely turning their season around. And to me, if you want to talk about momentum and flow, I give that advantage to the Celtics because this is a team that I think the, the biggest question, and I, and I was going to ask you what you think about this, Robert Williams being, I think that's obviously the X factor if he is there or not, but Robert Williams' conversation aside, to me, the Celtics team is one that when they played the Nets last year in the postseason, they were in a completely different space. They were they were exactly what they were in the first half of the season. They were out of sync. They were out of rhythm. They weren't meeting expectations. And now they're pretty much a well-oiled machine. That all being said, Gigi, I would love to know because I know Bruce Brown made some comments about how if Robert Williams isn't there, they'll be fine because Daniel Tice and Al Horford, whatever, like they can just attack them. What's your opinion on that whole situation? If Robert Williams isn't there, is this going to be an easy win for the Nets? No, I I really don't think, I think it's going to be a very exciting matchup. I Who knows if it'll be taken to seven games, but either way, every game will be exciting and it will be close. I think there's going to be a lot of lead changes too. I think that like a lot of Boston fans and then some newly found diehard Nets fans are going to be really excited um, when their team goes up. But no, oh my gosh, I think I agree with KD way more than Bruce Brown because KD kind of shot him down and was just like, "Oh, young man, like just sit down. That's a caffeine talking." Um, yeah, no, you like I said, you, you have to respect Al Horford. He is not going to be a guy like a typical big man that's going to go out and score a lot but his rebounding ability I think is so impressive and it always has been I think in my mind he's always such a reliable player and you still have to respect them as threats I am definitely taking KD's side on that one where he was just like it's not going to be easy at all this uh series especially playing in Boston and 
I think what might happen too, instead, we see, like you said, Andre Drummond and Nick, Nick Claxton going off. Nick Claxton, I feel like, has been way more reliable in the paint and like not only having like some crazy dunks, but just really timely shots um, and just putbacks. So I think that those two big men on the Nets doing well kind of shows how this is going to go for their matchup against the Celtics. They're going to get way better guarded. Kevin Love against Nick Claxton was, I mean, that was pretty good defense, but it wasn't great. So I think that they might be shut down just a little bit more. But that being said, it might be more of a battle of the post if teams continue to double KD and then double Kyrie when KD's out. So I got to ask the question, you know, game one starts on Sunday. Who you got? Not just game one. I'm talking the whole series. Celtics. In how many games? Seven. It's Boston and New York. It has to go to game seven. Nets in five. And it's not even close. Nets mm-hmm. in five. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would just like to point out with that, with Robert Williams, if you look at his four to six week timetable, I was if he doesn't come back early, game five, April 27th, would be the expected return date. He could come back early, though. Yeah, I think, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm reading the same tweet as you because game five is April 27th, and that's four weeks from when he got that surgery. And the timetable he was given was four to six weeks. Team is optimistic that he'd come back early from that. I think that it's going to be a tight series, could go to seven. I think whoever comes back first for either of these teams is going to win. And that's Rob Williams for the Celtics and Ben Simmons for the Nets. I know, I know, we're laughing, but I really what? I really do think there's a chance ben that he Ben Simmons comes. is your X Factor? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot. I, I definitely think he's going to be a difference maker. I respect him, even okay. if he's not going to be okay. like he's so a scoring good. point guard. He, yeah, no, I think that when he was actually last fits in well, play? too, as a playoff last team. Last time he played was when, was when, he, when he missed he that him layup. Play? Remember yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, even if you can get, like, 15 to 20 minutes out of him he is like a million times better than whatever minutes you're getting right now I mean he's probably taking like the Kessler Edwards minutes and listen Kessler Edwards has been a great player he was signed to a fully guaranteed contract at the end of the year so shout out to Kessler Edwards big fan but as he's listening he's gonna like live tweet at us and just be like thanks for the shout out JJ (laughs) Rochi stop being a hater um (laughs) sorry Kessler you're not as good as Ben Simmons um (laughs) he knows that I don't know people forget that he's like an all-nba player he's an all-nba player but he doesn't bring shooting and to me I don't think they need it but see to me Kevin Durant being double teamed you already have Kyrie Irving in your point guard like I think you're not putting respect on Patty Mills' name, and maybe he's it's really a streakiness. He's really struggled, though. Yeah. He's really this is his, like one of his worst seasons, if not his worst. Uh, who knows what could happen and in the playoffs? Yeah, I, you're right. He's streaky, but I think he's on a bad. Do we call it a bad streak? A bad maybe. streak right now. And also Seth Curry, I think you're going to see way better of a performance. He also wasn't even supposed to play exactly. that much. And he yesterday. wasn't at 100. percent And yeah, exactly. He wasn't at 100. percent And yeah, it's two rebounds, no points, no assists. <laughs> so I mean, I think Ben Simmons. There's no way he could hurt being in the lineup. I don't think. I got the Celtics in seven, but you know we can agree to two disagree. Two v one. All right, I'll take that. I want to do a real quick hit on the other playing game that we saw last night. Um, the Timberwolves take down the Clippers. That was 
a crazy, chaotic game. I just want quick thoughts on the game, and do you think that this Timberwolves team has any real shot at taking down the Grizzlies? Ooh, okay. I love this question. I mean, I definitely didn't see it going this way. I thought the Clippers were going to take this game, especially, I mean, Paul George did have a good night, 34 points. He has a very Paul George night, but... I think that you could see a lot more points coming out of Cat than he had. I mean, only 11 points last night. And I just think he could be actually really a dominant presence in the paint, even more than he is. But yeah, Anthony Edwards going off for 30 points I thought was really impressive and could say a lot for them moving forward as a scoring machine, getting the win 109-104. So for me in this one, first of all, I think we have to talk about Patrick Beverly acting like he just won a national championship. I mean, like he was in tears. I know this is like a revenge game for him, but I mean, he was in tears. He was ripping his jersey off. He's standing on top of the scoring table. So I get I, like my heart goes out to him. I'm happy he got a little bit of revenge in this one. But Gigi, you're right. I think Anthony Edwards uh, was the he had a breakout game. I mean, to come out in your first time playing and a really first time playing in a game of this magnitude and going off in the way he did. I mean, 10 points in the fourth quarter, huge from deep. I think he had five threes, if I'm not wrong. And then D'Lo Russell, too. He also was up there with 29 points, six assists, also hit clutch shots at the end. And I think this it, we're finally seeing what they envisioned when they went out and got D'Lo. And, that, and that's him playing as that 2-1B player next to Anthony Edwards and of course three when Cat is actually on I mean Gigi's right he was he was very off tonight and I don't think that's something we're gonna see moving over moving forward I think that's probably a fluke but this to me was more concerning for the Clippers like this was a very uncharacteristic game for them they just didn't really make adjustments and I think Ty Lue is a great coach but to me you, you saw that Marcus Morris couldn't get a stop on Anthony Edwards and you didn't do anything to change your defense in that situation. You could have brought in Covington, who would only play. He didn't really play a lot. And I, I thought they lacked cohesion on offense, except for Paul George, who really kind of dragged them through the game. Um, so I'm worried about the Clippers moving forward. I, like, I, I did not like what I saw to them. In terms of the Timberwolves, I love the Memphis Grizzlies I love John Morant I don't think that they're gonna get past them in the next game I'm just such a huge Memphis fan at this point I don't think Mm -hmm. they're gonna make it to even the conference finals but I think they get out of the first round with the Timberwolves I feel like they might be a year early I mean they have so many good pieces I was just so impressed last night at how well they performed even without Cat being that guy I mean, he finishes with 11 points, fouls out, you know, midway through the fourth quarter, and they still find a way to get it done without him. To the point about um, Reggie or Patrick Beverly. Patrick (laughs) Beverly freaking out, jumping on the table, Jersey. I don't know. You know what? The Timberwolves' preseason over under for wins was 35 and a half. It's crazy. And here they are, 46 and 36 at the end of the year. They stamp their tickets to the playoffs. They'll be playing the Grizzlies. I do think Memphis wins, but I I expect a closer series than, you know, just Grizzlies in four, Grizzlies in five. Um, But that will be an interesting one. We've got more playing games coming today, but for something to wrap up on, I 
would love to hit the WNBA draft because my good friend Gigi Spear <laughs> got the opportunity to be there in person. I just want to hear what that experience was like in person, seeing the the whole you know, chaos, but festivities of the draft. Just what was that like for you? I thought it was such an awesome showing. And it was, I think one of the most exciting things was the actual players and hearing what they had to say, how ready they were for the teams that they were going to go on. And there was like a perfect mix of confidence and, oh, I'm going to be whatever the team needs. And then also humility where like, it didn't matter what team I went to. I Maybe a couple players like, Ryan Howard probably knew she was going she said she did actually um to the dream after all and she got selected first like those type of players having the conversations with teams before it's just crazy that anything after that can happen and either way that's 36 dreams being made even if they're not all gonna earn an a roster spot on the team which is a little crazy that each team probably only has room for another two additional players and the commissioner, Kathy Engelbert, even said um, when asked about it that she's not looking for roster expansion. If anything, it's team expansion to grow fan bases through the colleges, say, around South Carolina, um, University of South Carolina, growing fan bases around there where the uh, the attendance at the games was so high throughout March Madness and throughout the regular season of this college hoop season that is priority first to make money instead of offering these spots to more players and guaranteeing um, contracts to a lot of talent. So yeah, it was really cool. And like I said, hearing what they had to say, a lot of just sentiments about like, oh, I am this, I am a great post player, but I can also play defense. And that's exactly what the fever needs, for example, or um, just a lot of readiness and willingness to go play and they start in a couple weeks. The lot of the first games are on the first week of May. So that's quick turnaround, the end of March Madness, just winning a championship a couple weeks ago for people like Destiny Henderson coming out of South Carolina. And they're just wanting to get back to it and play. There was so much love for the game. And I don't think there was that many surprises. I think a lot of people's mock drafts came true. And it people were just excited for each other too as one player left the press conference another would come in and just be like congrats or like can't wait to play with you too because um of all the overlap um like for example the fever getting so many um picks in the top 10 but yeah it was so exciting I want to talk about that first overall pick, Ryan Howard. How much of a slam dunk pick was that? What are the expectations for her? And then finally, keeping it local, the Liberty had a bit of a haul. I'm curious your thoughts on those picks. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think that Ryan Howard is a huge, huge slam dunk coming out of Kentucky. And I keep saying South Carolina, but, like, you have to after this season. They just had so much success. And to see the dream walk away with Ryan Howard the person even though she only had like 18 points in the SEC championship game they won it over South Carolina in the clutch time and I mean she's just a reliable player she averaged 20.5 points um seven um and uh, sorry three uh 7.4 rebounds per game 3.3 assists and she 
is just exactly, I think, what a rebuilding team needs. Someone who they could rely on. And like we've seen out of the Connecticut Sun, who finished first overall last year in the regular season, they have a player like John Quill Jones who could do it all, who could score, who could play defense, who could pass the ball. And I feel like that's exactly what you want as the dream rebuilding uh, for a team. As for the Liberty, that's three post players coming in. And I know I texted you guys about this, about um, adding that to Stephanie Dolson also coming into Liberty is so excited they already have MVP from last year but Nigel Laney who could score in the paint she could drive she could pull up she can make plays and I think that we're going to see a lot of good changes happening with the Liberty with the addition of these three um, even if only two make it I think that the Liberty are going to be even more exciting to watch. They barely clinched that number eight spot um, to go to the playoffs last year and are only getting better. They got a new coach in Sandy Brondello from Phoenix who will have huge, huge impacts on the team. Um, and I think that the Liberty are actually going to be really exciting to watch and going to be a team to contend with over even the Chicago sky or um, even Seattle. I got a couple good drafts, draft picks. Um, yeah, I think that this upcoming season is going to be awesome to tune into. Real quick, I think it's interesting that you said that there weren't any surprises because to me there were a few surprises. Like, obviously, Ryan Howard was going number one. And also, I, I want to mention that she's also very strong defensively, 2.3 steals per game. So she's definitely going to help them out there. And also, any first-round pick in the w first overall pick, excuse me, in the WNBA, I saw a tweet and it was like, for all the previous first overall picks, like think about Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi, Candace Parker, Brianna Stewart, just to name a few, they go on to do so much for their teams in the WNBA, 30 championships, 10 overall MVPs. I mean, that anytime you're first overall pick in the WNBA, like you're going in there to change the entire organization and go in there and give them a fresh start. So, uh, for the Atlanta Dream, like this might be cheesy, but hopefully their dreams come true. And one <laughs> one team that I think really benefited from this draft, and maybe this is being Captain Obvious here because they had like 12 freaking picks, was were the Indiana Fever. They go in there. They have the second pick, fourth pick, sixth pick, tenth pick. They even get Destiny Henderson, who I know you got to ask a question about being the best dressed there, which is really cool. But she fell... Um, to number 20 in the draft. So they kind of got a steal with her, especially you want to talk about a two-way player, someone who's strong offensively, but especially defensively. And maybe there's a little bit of recency bias there because we just watched her, like you mentioned, go off in a national championship game. Like she wasn't, before that game, wasn't projected as high. And they also got uh, Jackson State's Amicia Williams Holidays, who became the first, uh, is only the sixth HBCU player to be drafted in the WNBA first in 19 years so wanted to give her a shout out and I think those players along with obviously the higher Melissa Smith, Emily Angster, Lexi Hole, just a lot of great players going to this Indiana team so I think they're going to be a whole new look team they're going to be a really exciting team to watch but Gigi I did really want I really quickly wanted to ask you about the whole Brittany Griner situation because I know they addressed that um, I believe at the beginning, um, that's a crazy thing. And I feel like we don't talk about it a lot. Um, and it's a very relevant issue that goes above and beyond sports. So I wondered if they said anything new or interesting there about that whole situation. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people were like upset with what was said actually, because yeah, Brittany Griner, she plays for the, um, Phoenix Mercury and she's been detained in Russia because of possession of THC. 
And there hasn't been a lot of news directly from her for a couple weeks. And I think a lot of people on WNBA Twitter are really upset about that and um, also nervous uh, about her safety. And what the commissioner, Kathy Engelbert, said in the um, press conference before the draft and then even to start the draft which was interrupted, and I'll talk about that too. But um, she just said that there's a lot of stuff that goes into this, a lot of politics, a lot of bureaucracy, and that they can't be talking too much directly to her to overstep bounds. So she was kind of making it seem like they're doing everything that they can to get her back. And I mean, I think a lot of people were upset because they're like, well, if you were, then she would be back by now. Yeah, I feel like Um, yesterday was the first time I heard her described as a bargaining chip in the war with Ukraine, like they said that if they gave her too much media attention, then Russia could use her or whatever. But I'm like, if it was a male athlete, would we be making the same excuse? Like, I I don't know. I don't know. No. Yeah. I think that it would be so different if it was, if that was the case, if she was a male athlete. And I mean, she is so, so good. She's one of the most exciting players to watch. And she's a really good person too. She has um, a shoe drive um, fund that she founded in Phoenix because a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, people suffering from homelessness there. And yeah, she the commissioner addressed that. And as she was talking, I was standing in the room and then Sedona Prince from um, Oregon, <laughs> her phone went off. And she was like, did you hear that? I was like, yeah. And it was like this huge, serious moment. But anyway, yeah, I just think that you're right we don't address that enough and that there is a lot that could be done so hopefully everybody could stay tuned to um those news updates and maybe when you're listening this uh there will be a new update in Brittany Griner's case we're all uh hoping for the best with that situation real quick I just want your thoughts Gigi on the expectations for the Liberty this coming season okay I think that they should be finishing I would say in the top six of teams, I don't think it should be that um, close um, of a call at the end of the season. What they really need is better defensive efforts and (laughs) front court and back court depth. And I think that we've seen a lot of expansion in that. So basically they just need to be better overall. Um, But yeah, they had, they traded for it. They got the fifth, the 18th, and then the 29th pick and brought in all three post players so I think that they only got better and also having those post players in addition to Natasha Howard who was unhealthy for most of the season I think is going to be huge and just having her back more full-time in addition to Sab who will find more of her role as a point guard and she's more comfortable as a shooting guard anyway but she'll be able to spread the floor better I think with better post presence and I think that they'll also match up against teams really well I think like the dream and the fever we can't see that much from next year but for teams like the aces or even um obviously the sky who won it all last year and the sun even who uh had one of the best records the WNBA has ever seen in the regular season I think that they're going to match up really well with those teams so that's why I think they're going to move up at least two spots and the aces have Becky Hammond now right Mm -hmm. as their coach so I think that's really exciting, especially they got a steal, too. Um, Kirsten Bell out of FGCU, I think she came from Ohio State originally. I think she's going to be a big-time player there and um, potentially a household name eventually, but she kind of flew under the radar because she was hurt for a while, but really exciting team in there in Las Vegas as well. Yeah, and her FGCU team was supposed to play Fordham, and they didn't, and we should see how that would have gone because that could have said a lot about her, Kirsten Bell. (laughs) Yeah. 
You guys heard it here first, got the great analysis. Gigi Spear was able to attend the WNBA draft also for the NBA, going to the Nets, just really doing it all, Gigi. So a fun, fun we, couple days. <laughs> we greatly appreciate it. That will do it for this edition of Pick and Pod. I'm Jack Roach signing off for my host, Kelly Bright and Gigi Spear. Stay right here for your NBA coverage as the Nets look to make a playoff push. Thank <music> you.